Well, good morning again. It is always a pleasure and an honor to be able to study God's Word with the family here at Fairview Park. It's not something that I take lightly. It's not something that, uh, you know, like I sometimes did with my college papers where I put off all my study and, and uh, thought until the last second and then I say, oh, I guess I better have something by Sunday. But it's something that fills me with great joy to be able to spend full time in study and devotion so that we may all grow towards our God, learning and striving for him together. If you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 33 this morning for the majority of the lesson. And Ezekiel is one of those books that maybe, for some of us, that we don't read an awful lot. At least I know I don't read it nearly enough as I should. Because it's got some of those strange visions and signs that maybe serve to confuse us more than anything. So if you haven't read up on the book of Ezekiel recently, and maybe you don't really know anything about where Ezekiel 33 is in the context of the book, I'll try to catch you up a little bit. Up to this chapter, Ezekiel has been, mostly he's been telling the people of Judah about their coming doom which is a very similar theme to a lot of the rest of the prophets. And Ezekiel's been saying, since Israel and Judah, they were so evil, since they broke the law of God constantly, since they showed no love for him or their fellow man, since they were drawn away by false gods and the allure of the fleeting powers of other nations, Ezekiel says that they deserved to be punished and they deserved to be exiled because their hearts had been turned to stone. And God, through Ezekiel, assures Judah that they will be exiled unless they turn back to God. And that's really a summary of the first 32 chapters of the book is that there is a punishment coming, and you guys deserve it. In fact, by the end of this chapter, this very chapter, Ezekiel 33, you will see that Jerusalem will fall to Babylon. Jerusalem falls, it's struck down, and essentially the remaining nation of Judah falls with it. And the foreign enemy, Babylon, takes over the land completely. The exile that Ezekiel has been talking about, it fully comes to pass. But that's not what we're going to focus on, at least not right now. Even though I have spoiled the ending of the story for you, I've played my hand a little bit early. What we're going to focus on, narratively speaking, is the last thing we see God in Ezekiel say to the people before this fall of Jerusalem. So if you would turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 33 with me. And in the first part of Ezekiel 33, God reaffirms Ezekiel as Israel's watchman, which he did earlier in the book all the way back in chapter 3. 
In chapter 3, God has Ezekiel eat the scroll. He has him consume God's law, God's word. And out of that sign, God gave Ezekiel a job. He says, now that you know the law and the word of God, now that you have that in you, God told Ezekiel that he had to warn the sinning souls around him of their doom and of the future punishment and death that was coming. Ezekiel had to call out all the injustice and wickedness that he saw to warn of the future exile. And God tells him that one of the reasons that he has to do all these things is in order to save his own soul as the watchman on Israel's spiritual walls, so to speak. And so that was chapter 3. And when we get here in chapter 33, God expands on this same picture. So if you want to read with me, we're going to just start in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1, and we're going to read the first nine verses together. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them their watchmen. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be on his own head. If he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have, made, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your soul. And so essentially here, God tells Ezekiel that as Israel's watchman, he has to see the sin in front of him. And he has to see the coming punishment and destruction for that sin as told to him by God. And also from that word that is now inside him. And he has to let the sinning Israelites know that they're earning the wages of death and destruction that come because of their sin. That's a big task. To have him proclaim the judgment of God, the warnings of God, or to be held accountable for not doing that. And that brings us to the part of Ezekiel 33 that I really want to focus in this morning. The part that I think is extremely relevant to our situation, what Ezekiel does with that information. 
How does he act as a watchman? What does he do with that word of God inside him? And I think that the next word of God that we see come to him answers that question for us. Because this, narratively speaking, is the last message we have from the book of Ezekiel before the destruction of Jerusalem. In a lot of ways, in the narrative of the book, this is the last gasp chance to warn the people of the coming exile. And that's verses 10 through 16. This is what God instructs Ezekiel to say as the watchman of Israel. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver them when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right, and he shall surely live. And I find this incredible, that what God instructs Ezekiel to say, what God shows us that his watchman is supposed to do, is to see the sin around them and to address it, to recall God's promises to destroy the wicked and to punish those who reject him, but not for the sake of wishing destruction on those who act wickedly, it's not like Jonah where Ezekiel was excitedly anticipating the destruction of Jerusalem. But instead, Ezekiel was called to preach repentance. Even to those who pridefully considered themselves to be saved by their own hand. Those who were doing good deeds but thought themselves saved on their own account. To preach that God will redeem those who turn to him, but only those who turned to him. You see, it is a message of judgment and justice. That is certainly true. But it is also, maybe even more so, a message begging the wicked and the righteous alike to turn to the love and hope of God and his plan to redeem his people. That the role of God's watchman for Israel was to speak about the ultimate consequences of choosing to follow God or the consequences of choosing not to follow God. To lay out the twofold path ahead of God's people. 
God, His repentance, His life, or sin, exile, and death. Say, why will you die, O Israel? However, the people of Israel didn't listen to their watchmen. In fact, all the way back in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 7, God told Ezekiel, quote, The people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all of the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. Israel's heart had become hard. They would not listen to their God. And yet Ezekiel had to preach to them anyway. God didn't say that as Israel's watchman, Ezekiel, you can preach to them, but since they're not going to listen, actually, you know, you don't really have to bother with that. Or maybe you can only preach to the people that you think might listen. That's not what Ezekiel was called to do. Ezekiel was told to hear the word of the Lord, to see sin, and to call it out. Even when the people didn't listen. In fact, God told Ezekiel that he would bless him with stubbornness, which we don't often think of as a blessing. But God gave Ezekiel stubbornness so that he didn't bend to the will of the people, so that he could keep accurately and boldly preaching the law of God that was inside him. And after 30 chapters later of visions and signs and prophecies, God was right. The people still did not listen to their watchmen. If you're still in Ezekiel 33, we can pick back up in verses 17 through 20 together. Yet your people, that is Israel, they say the way of the Lord is not just. When it is their own unrighteous, sorry, the, when it is their own, I've lost my place. And yet you say, the word of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. Uh, I will judge each of you according to his ways. I'm going to start that again because I, I, I read all through that and I, I don't think I actually got the point. So let's try that again. Start back in verse 17 and we'll just read it again. Yet your people say, that's Israel, the way of the Lord is not just when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. And yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. I've got a new Bible up here and I don't even know how to read it anymore. Even after all this destruction and death that was foretold, even after God and Ezekiel practically begging the people to change their ways, showing that the hope of life can come through the repentance and trust in God, asking them, why will you choose to die? Why will you cho choose assured death over the love of God? The people of Israel chose not to question their own ways, they chose not to question their own sins and shortcomings. They said, what we're doing is fine. It's God who is unjust. 
They say, God, we're not wrong. It's you who is wrong, which is a chilling thing to hear. And because of that, their judgment was assured. The next verse says that in the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city's been struck down. God's judgment on Israel and Judah was finalized. The exile that had started 12 years ago, its inevitable end was completed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Babylon had ended any semblance of a physical nation of Israel. But this wasn't God breaking his covenant. This wasn't God being unjust as the people of Israel so pridefully suggested. In the rest of this chapter... And a lot of chapters throughout the rest of the book, God details through Ezekiel some of the many sins of the people. Both those who are in the exile and those who were in the land. God again draws direct connection from Israel disregarding his law to their own death and destruction. God says that this actually confirms what he had said through his watchman Ezekiel. That this destruction was the proof of God's love and justice. That his message of repentance and forgiveness and hope was true. The people just refused to listen to the call. Why will you die? Ezekiel 33, it's, it's a it's discouraging passage in some ways. It's a very somber chapter to see God and his word so just blatantly disregarded. And to see the very people who would claim to be God's people. To choose death over his promises. But I think that even though it's a hard passage for us to read... It is a necessary passage for us to read. Because there is much we can learn from Ezekiel 33 about our God, our role as his people, and about evaluating our own ways. And so we're going to take some time in the rest of this lesson to figure out what role we fit into in the story of Ezekiel 33. When you read this chapter, where do you see yourself in it? And I think the first question we need to answer is, is there a way in which we are appointed as watchmen today as Christians? And sort of if you want to take a very literal answer to that, the answer is no. At least we aren't appointed by God directly to watch for the sins of others unless we're elders or parents. We're not warned that the blood of God's people is on our hands, that we are held accountable for others' sins. But... I think that if we look at the principles of Ezekiel's job as the spiritual watchman for Israel, we find a lot of similarities to our role as Christians. There is a sense in which we are to be the watchmen for the sins of God's people. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is one example. 
It says, if your brother sins, and some of your translations will say, if your brother sins against you here, but others will just say, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. The idea being that when you discover the sin of a fellow Christian, another person in God's kingdom, in God's people, when you discover that they've sinned, it is your responsibility as a brother to come to them in love and to make their sin known to them. To try to persuade them to turn back to God, to repent and to rejoin God's mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus says there are serious consequences to ignoring this sin. That if the Christian watchman cannot persuade the brother, and that one or two Christian watchmen along with them cannot persuade them, and if the whole congregation of the family of God's people cannot persuade the sinning brother to see the error of his ways and to repent, if that sin is still not taken care of, then the sinful one loses their status as a member of God's people. That they are cut off from the collective. And that is a severe punishment. And this is important. Because that is in some ways very similar to what we read in Ezekiel 33. While it is true that the average Christian is not ordained by God to be accountable for the sins of the people, it is a Christian's job, and eventually, if it needs to be, the whole congregation's job to bring their sin to light as a sort of watchman, to warn them of the sins and the punishment that results from those sins. That we are to purge the sin from our midst and to seek that all here are reconciled to God. But just like the people of Israel, not everyone's going to listen. Even in the group of those people who claim to be God's people. But this is like Ezekiel's work. That this is not done in a way that we hope we catch a brother or sister stumbling. I'm not saying that we need to start spying on each other and and hoping to get some dirt that we can blackmail our brothers and sisters with. That completely misses the point. The watchmen of God's people are not excited to find sin and to rail on about coming punishment. We're not hoping to treat a brother as a Gentile or tax collector. That sort of familial break that Jesus talks about, while sometimes necessary, should not be the first tool taken out of our tool bag. We can't be hoping to divide and cut each other off. In fact, the Bible gives the complete opposite picture. That this whole process of addressing sin is to be done for the purpose of love and service to our brother. In Galatians 5, Paul lists some of the works of the flesh. He talks about sins like sexual immorality and anger and envy and drunkenness. And he says these are the ways the world lives. This is how those outside of Jesus live. 
And then as a contrast to that, Paul gives us the fruits of the Spirit. That this is the way that God's people are to conduct themselves in love and purity. And then right after that, in Galatians 5, starting in verse 24, and we'll read on to the next chapter, Paul gives us this set of instructions. Now those who belong to Christ have been crucified, uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. As Paul says here, even in this life of the spirit, where you've crucified the flesh, that old earthly way of life, you're still going to have brothers overtaken in sin. And the way to handle that is not pridefully thinking that you're more holy or righteous than the brother. Because Ezekiel 33 tells us that if we rely on our own righteousness instead of God's path, we too will be destroyed. The idea isn't that we are somehow super Christians, not like this brother that's caught in sin. But instead, one of these jobs of the fruits of the Spirit is to lovingly restore your brother in sin. That you're not causing needless fights. You're not trying to provoke your brother to anger. But you are lovingly and gently bringing the sin to light and restoring your brother to the group. Now, this passage doesn't say what that looks like. This isn't a detailed set of instructions but I think it's very similar to what we've already seen in Ezekiel 33 and Matthew 18. This takes being on watch. This takes seeing the sin among us and warning people about the sin in love and in gentleness. We serve each other. We fulfill the law of Christ because we are loving God's law that although we are not designated as watchmen like Ezekiel, we do have a responsibility to lovingly restore the brother in sin. To address the sin in our midst. But there is a way that we are called to directly watch for sin. As Ezekiel was. And of course that is to watch ourselves. In the passage that we just read, in the middle of the discourse on restoring your sinful brother, Paul said in verse 1 of chapter 6, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And the same idea is echoed in 1 Corinthians 16, where as Paul closes the letter, he offers a final charge. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That the idea being, we're supposed to be a watchman for our own sin. That we are to, like Ezekiel, have God's word in us. Now, we aren't inspired as Ezekiel was, but we have been given the word and law of God. 
And we are to put that law inside us and we are supposed to be evaluating ourselves based on that word to make sure that we are living in accordance with all of it. Are we living faithfully? Are we acting lovingly? And if not, we need to identify that sin in ourselves and we need to address it. But what does that look like? If you want to turn with me, we're going to read Psalm 130. And we're just going to read the whole psalm together. It's not a very long psalm. And as we read this psalm, I want you to look as we go through this passage to see what being a watchman for ourselves look like. Because I think there's quite a few parallels here between Psalm 130 and what we read in Ezekiel 33 and what we're called to do as Christians. And Psalm 130 says this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more for the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So here the psalmist says, well, I mean, they understand their own situation. Because Ezekiel was told by God to make the sins of the people known to them. And here the psalmist understands his iniquity. He understands his dire situation. Ezekiel was told to preach to the Israelites the justice of God, that no one could stand on their own righteous deeds, that the prideful ones, the righteous, would not save themselves, and that the wicked would be punished for their wickedness, that they all needed to turn to God for deliverance. The psalmist understands that too. He says that on his own, he cannot stand before God. That no one can. He understands that he has to submit to God's will. That he has to beg for the mercy and forgiveness that Ezekiel preached to the Israelites. For God to save them from their sins. And so it says, the psalmist keeps watch for God. He eagerly awaits the day that he will be restored to his creator. In other words, he is living in a way ready For a life with God. And this is what it all comes back to. The idea of waiting for the Lord. And in Luke 12 verses 35 through 40. Jesus tells a parable about the condition his disciples need to be in. When he returns one day. And this is what he says. He says stay dressed And ready for action and keep your lamps burning 
And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and recline at table, and he will come to them and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. The reality is that we must keep watch on ourselves with the goal of being ready for our God. We must live in a way as to be ready for the coming judgment. To be ready for the Son of Man to come again. We have to be watchful. To be awake and ready, as this passage says. Constantly evaluating ourselves by God's word. And taking care of the sin in our life. And anticipating his return. Because we know his judgment will be just. In Ezekiel 33, the people were warned about their coming judgment. God told them that if they continued in their sin, they would be punished, that they would be killed. And the only way to avoid that judgment was to repent and turn to trust God, to abandon their worldly way of living and to seek God and his forgiveness to trust his mercy and love. But the people refused to do that. All the way up until the point where Jerusalem was destroyed, where the exile was finalized, Ezekiel, as Israel's watchman, pleaded with them, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why won't you choose God's love and forgiveness over death? But they never did. They never listened to their watchmen. And they never listened to the pleas of their God. And they were destroyed because of it. And so I asked the question, what about us? Because Jesus has warned us that there is a judgment coming. He said he's coming back. And those who are not watchful, those who are not living in a way ready... For Jesus coming, those who are living lives of sin, they will be punished. That they will face the second death. Even those who claim to be the Lord's servants. If they're not doing what's right. But just like in Ezekiel 33, God does not wish that anyone should perish. And so he calls on them. He calls on us to turn from our sin before the judgment. To seek his forgiveness and his mercy and his love and his life. To stay dressed and ready for action. Ready for the return of our king. To keep watch on ourselves lest we fall. So I ask you, why will you die, O Christian? I don't normally do this in this session, but this passage is a daunting one to me in many ways. 
It's, it's a harrowing topic. And so I want to offer a prayer to God on our behalf for the honest evaluation and that we faithfully cling to our God and then we'll offer the invitation. Father in heaven, righteous and just God, we know that your path leads to forgiveness and mercy. We know that you call us to your hope and life. And yet far too often we choose the path of sin. We choose the path that leads to destruction and punishment. And we choose even to bring about our own deaths. Help us to keep watch on ourselves. Help us to identify the sin in our lives and to get rid of it immediately. And to turn to you. And to choose to follow you for the rest of our days. Give us the honesty to see our sin and the strength to get rid of us, to get rid of it. Father, purify our hearts and let your word dwell in us. Take our hearts of stone and please mold them as hearts directed toward you. Help us to follow your word and to use the word in us to guide your actions. Help us to love each other and to love you enough to restore our sinful brethren. And help us to live lives of anticipation for your son's return so that we may be found awake and ready, watching and waiting for our Lord. We pray all this in your son, our Lord's name. May he come quickly. Amen. I don't think that many of us are trying to live super sinful lives. I really don't. I don't think that we're trying actively to be as bad as possible, or at least I hope we're not. And yet we do sin. We do what we do not desire to do. And why is that? And there's a few different reasons for it that we could come up with together, but I think a lot of it boils down to we have failed to keep watch on ourselves. We have failed to call out and address the sin that is in us. We have failed to live in a way ready for the judgment. We failed to keep that perspective that Paul had, that everything was about and led toward that eternal glory. We focus on the short-term pleasures of sin that lead to punishment and death. So right now, I'm, I'm calling you to wake up, to keep watch over yourself, to find the sin in your life and to take care of it right now, to anticipate our Lord's return before it is too late to do so, and also to look around and to help restore those around you, to help restore God's people, to find the brother in sin and to serve them and to serve God by lovingly restoring them to the faith so that we all may be found awake and watching when our Lord comes. I want nothing more for the group here than all of us to be found awake and watching, anticipating for the coming of our Lord. So this morning, if you are not a part of God's people, if you're not a Christian, he's calling you. He calls you to return 
that you turn from your will to his, to, from the worldly way that leads to sin and death and calls you to his life in the spirit. Because he loves you. Join to him now. Wake up and join the watch for his return so that you can be excited about Jesus coming back instead of living in dread of it. You can repent of your sins now. You can be baptized into God's forgiveness and mercy and join the number of his people right now. But if you do call yourself a Christian, if you're one who once dedicated yourself to God, but you failed to keep watch on yourself, you left the life of the Spirit And you rejoined your dead, sinful past life. Repent and turn to him. Because saying that you're one of God's people, it's not good enough. You have to live the life of righteousness that he calls us to. You have to strive for his love. You need to come back to your God this morning. We'll be happy to pray for you. We'll be happy to restore you in love today. If you need to be baptized or desire the prayers of the church, please come to the front as we stand and sing.